All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along online, in screen, on screen, or in your outline, or the Central Church app. If you don't have the Central Church app, I would encourage you to get that. Go to your app store, um, get Central Church of Carroll, not Central Church Vegas. It's entirely different. Um, and the message is going to be different. You're going to get different announcements. Um, but with the app, you can get all of our announcements. You can get the top three. You can kind of know what's going on. All of our outlines are on there, so you can follow along. You can digitally fill out the outline um, on your phone. You can email it to yourself so you can have it forever and ever and ever, because I know you dig these out and search through them. Um, Anyway, um, all of that stuff is there, so get that out. But John chapter 4, that's where we're going to start today. We're going to jump around. We're going to look at a couple other passages, but John 4 is where we're going to start. And I'll start off the message like this, trying to get us um, on common ground. Um, I know a lot of us have differences, and people like to talk about differences, um, but I like to get us kind of on the same page. Um, All of us would agree um, that we have like certain places that we avoid if we can, right? Like there's certain places that we'll, we will go, certain places we won't go. You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe it's the house of a relative. Um, maybe it's the in-laws or the outlaws, however you view that relationship. Um, maybe it's a certain restaurant. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we did the what's your favorite fast food restaurant survey here. And somebody asked me, why didn't you put up Burger King? Because it's Burger King, man. That's why. And nobody's favorite, right? No? Yes? I'm like, you're all looking at me like crazy. Like, that's my favorite. I want to come back. Anyway, um, you guys are going to have to like respond like way better in the service. It's been, it's been like a crazy morning. So we have places that we, we don't like to go. Um, or there's certain routes that we avoid. Like if we're going from point A to point B, there are certain things like you won't go this way because of traffic or whatever. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the places I like to avoid and I try really, 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 really hard to avoid is Walmart. Walmart always takes me backwards in my walk with Jesus. Anyone else? We have these places, right, that we avoid. And if we're going to get really honest and transparent, because that's what we do here at Central, there are certain people that we avoid, right? Don't, don't answer out loud because you might be sitting next to the person uh, that you're trying to avoid. Um, isn't, isn't caller ID on your cell phone one of the greatest inventions in the history of the world? Like, like haven't you, like everybody in here has, has had their phone ring and look at it and went, kind of slid the phone back down in their pocket, right? Because you learn the trick. You don't send them the voicemail. You let it go to voicemail, right? Because if you send them the voicemail, they know you sent them the voicemail. But if you let it go, you can be like, oh, I missed your call. Like, that's a Christian way to lie. Oh, I missed your call. Did you get my call? Oh, you called? Fool, you know I called you. I'm teaching you how to lie in church right now. Aren't you glad you came? Um, we could do this stuff all morning. Here's the point. There are certain places that we avoid, and there are certain people that we avoid. Now, during the time of Jesus, it was the exact same way. Um, In Jesus' time, Jewish men, Jesus was Jewish, um, they would avoid certain places, and they would avoid certain people. And one of the places the Jewish person would avoid in the time of Jesus was an area known as Samaria. Everybody say Samaria. 
Samaria. We're going to talk about that a lot this morning. They would avoid Samaria. And one of the reasons they would avoid Samaria is because that's where the Samaritans live. And Jews and Samaritans hated each other. I mean, it was, you think we got racial tension today? It was racial tension without political correctness. It was bad. In fact, there's a story in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus rolled up into a Samaritan village and the Samaritans wouldn't accept him. And two of his, two of his disciples, James and John, said, hey, Let's call down fire from heaven. Let's just kill everybody. Like they wanted to blow everybody up. And Jesus is like, ah, uh, I don't think you guys got the whole love one another thing that I've tried to teach you. So we'll circle back around that. Um, but until then, you're in timeout. That's sort of my interpretation of it. He wasn't happy. He was mad. Because Jews didn't go to Samaria. And they just didn't go. Like me and Walmart. You just, you just avoided it. At all costs, you, you didn't go. They would do everything they could to avoid going there. Now, not only did they avoid going to certain places, but Jewish men, whenever they were out in public, would also avoid women. And the reason they would avoid women is because back during the time of Jesus, women were viewed just slightly above a piece of property. And by the way, let me just say this. Jesus was the first religious leader in the history of the world that actually brought in and added value to women. Women, when they came to Jesus, he didn't turn them away. In, in fact, it was women who he appeared to first after the resurrection. It was women who had to go tell the disciples that Jesus was alive because they were freaked out. They were hiding in a closet somewhere. If it wasn't for women, we wouldn't even know that the tomb was empty. And so Jesus brought women in and added value to them. But during the time of Jesus, while he was here on earth, if you were a Jewish male, you didn't spend time around Samaritans. You didn't go through Samaria and you didn't talk to women. Now, with all of that in mind, with the understanding that there are places that we avoid, there are people that we avoid, and back in Jesus's time, it was the same way. Let's look at this story in John chapter four. We're going to start in verse one. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptized. Can you believe that there was once upon a time in the history of the world where people would believe rumors about other people that were not true? Can you believe that? We've progressed so much since the days that Jesus left. Anyway, that's another message for another time. Verse 3, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. That, that sentence right there is key. I'll come back to that in a little bit. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, when we read that, we just kind of skip over it. But to the first century reader, when they read that, they were like, what? Like, like this would be like me giving my opening illustration. And then you see it on social media later today, me posting, oh, can't wait to go to Walmart. It's going to be awesome. You'd be like, all right, Pastor Ryan's hitting the crack pipe or something like maybe, maybe not. I don't, maybe you would think that about me. Verse five, eventually he came. I'm not, by the way, just so you know. We'll get through this message, and you might think so, but it's not. It's not true, I promise. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village. This is crazy. To the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, look at this, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. I need to talk about this really quick, because a lot of people... 
They like to speculate on why Jesus sat down. It's pretty clear why Jesus sat down. See, often we talk about the divinity of Jesus, but we don't want to focus on the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was walking in the desert. The reason he sat down, because he was what? Tired, right? It's, it's pretty blatant right there. But you'll read all these scholars and want to be theologians who want to make this all spiritual and want to make this all these other things. Like, dude was tired. He's fully God and fully man. Like, he didn't just float everywhere that he goes, right? I don't know, like, what picture of Jesus you have, but he didn't just, like, float from one place to the other. He walked. Fully God, fully man. And so dude is tired. Here's the point. Here's what we need to know today. If you're here and you've ever been tired and exhausted, Jesus knows how that feels. Hebrews tells us that we serve a high priest who knows exactly everything that we've ever gone through, every temptation, every everything. And he can empathize with us because he he knows what it's like. He knows us. He identifies with us. Every struggle we have, every trial we go through, every temptation that we have, he can identify with every single one of them. He knows everything about us. He knows everything that we're ever going to do. He knew everything we were going to do before he even created us, and he created us anyway. That's pretty awesome, right? Fully God, fully man. Anyway, this next verse, this is crazy. Soon a Samaritan woman, and and this is a place where you think the disciples would step in and be like, Jesus, run. <laughs> like, just just get out of here. Just go away. Like, Jesus, we're not supposed to be here. We don't want to be here. And now this woman is coming up. And Jesus, you got us in an uncomfortable place doing uncomfortable things. And now she's coming. Jesus, just get out of here. Um, but later on, we're not going to get to this today in, in this text this morning. Um, but you can read the text later on. And it says the disciples weren't even with him. He's all by himself. They had gone out to get some food. Um, but it says this, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please. Now, 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 this is huge, that Jesus said to her, said to her, Jesus is initiating conversation with her. You're not supposed to talk to her, not supposed to have any interaction with her. And Jesus said to her, and he starts out, and this, this is kind of a side note to the message, Jesus starts out with a kind word to a woman that everybody spent the majority of their time trying to avoid. And so what if, and this is, this is a convicting statement for me. Maybe it's not for you, but, but it is for me. What if we as followers of Jesus were known for our kind words towards other people? What if? What if we who say we're followers of Jesus were known for our kind words towards other people? Just a thought. It's another message for another time, but just a thought. Back to the story. Soon as a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, there's something about this passage, and, and I've talked about it before. I've, I've, I've taught through this passage for years. This is an easy go-to passage for me um, to preach through. Um, but there's a phrase in here that I told you to remember that we're going to come back to. is super important. It says he had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go. Jesus had to go. Didn't through, didn't say like Samaria was a route he could have gone. The Bible says he had to go. Have you ever discovered something that's true and then just been like incredibly disappointed? Like some of my favorite social media memes and TikToks are the I was today years old when I found out blank. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, 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 I don't know, maybe this isn't a meme, maybe this isn't on a TikTok or whatever, but just think about this. How old were you when you discovered where babies came from? How, how old? 
How, it, and I know it happened sooner today, um, but back in my day, there was no social media and there weren't any internets. There was none of that. And so I learned where babies come from in about the fourth grade. And I learned it on the bus. You learn all kinds of life-changing information on the school bus, don't you? An older kid was like, hey, Ryan, you know how you got here? I was like, well, yeah, my mom dressed me and gave me my lunchbox and pushed me out the door and I'm on the bus. He said, no, you know how you were born? And I'm like, yeah, man, like the stork and the kind of go through. He's like, no, your mom and daddy got naked. And then they, and he starts explaining all this stuff. And I was like, you are nasty. My mom and dad don't do that. And then I started noticing that my mom and dad took a lot of Sunday afternoon naps. And you couldn't open the door, right? What are you doing in there? We're praying. Oh, I thought we were Catholic. Y'all acting Pentecostal, speaking in tongues and laying on hands up in there. Praying? What you talking about? By the way, if you're here and you're a little boy or a little girl and your mom and dad are taking some afternoon naps, ask them what that's really about after service. They'd love to tell you. It'd be great. Make, make sure you send video back to us for that. Anyway, I found out on the bus. I thought, I don't know, I thought stork or whatever, I didn't know. But what I found out, what I believed to be true wasn't true. All of us find out stuff like that throughout our lives. The reason I bring that up is because I remember reading this verse years ago, and I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd. I love to read the history and geography, a history of all the stuff that goes on in the scriptures. And so when I was in Bible college, I really started looking at the map and really started um, really discovering um, all the geography of Israel. I realized on the surface, that's not true. Like that verse, he had to go through Samaria, isn't necessarily true. And it bothered me because the Bible's true, right? Like I, I believe I believe the Bible's awe-inspired, it's profitable for training, teaching, correction, and righteousness, all of that. I believe the Bible is entirely true, right? And so it's true, but that verse right there isn't, like, because let me show you something. This map right here is a map of the time um, of Jesus, of what Israel was like at the time of Jesus. The bottom of the map is Judea. That's where Jesus is at at the time of this story. Now, there were a couple of routes that could take you from Judea to Galilee up at the top. Galilee, that orange or red area, whatever color that is up there. Um, that's the area where Jesus, that Galilean area, is where Jesus did the majority of his ministry. Now, over here on the right, and we can't really tell, but um, in the middle of that red line coming between the blue and the gray, that's the Jordan River. That, that line over there on the right, that's the route that people traditionally took. Like that was the most popular route to go. You'd come down, you'd go through Jericho. Um, there were some other stops along the way. Um, that typically was the most religious route. Like if you're going to do religious activities, that's the route that you would take. On the other side of the map, on the left side, that, that goes across as the Mediterranean Sea out there to the left. That was the, I'm going to go do whatever I want route. That was, I'm going to take my family on vacation. We're going to go up this way. We're going to stop. You get up by Caesarea. You can hang out at the beach. Um, you turn right. You go back to Galilee. You get up there and you're, you're back home. That was, that was kind of that route. That was kind of more of the fun route. The middle line 
through Samaria, that was the shortest route. It was the most direct route. If you're going to go from point A to point B, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That's the most straight line. That's the quickest way. Now, it was tough walking. If you had a topography map, you could see it's kind of mountainous through there. But it was the shortest. But Jews would go out of their way along the other routes, even, even though it was longer and they would use excuses. They would use religion or they would use, hey, we're going on vacation. Like they would do whatever they could to avoid going through Samaria, even though they could get from Judea to Galilee faster by going straight. Does that make sense? So if that's true, why would John write that Jesus had to go through Samaria? Because he didn't really have to. There are multiple routes, and there were easier routes. Well, we have to understand it wasn't a geographical statement. It was a spiritual statement that God was, or Jesus was compelled by God to go through Samaria. Now, let me tell you where most pastors, including myself, usually go with this verse. We get excited because we're like, oh, I'm going to preach this. We can preach this. This is, this is good stuff because we're going to be that church. We're going to be the church that goes through Samaria. We're, we're going to be the people who reaches people that nobody else is reaching. We're going to do the hard things and we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God. We're going to do anything. We're going to go through Samaria. And you get all excited and you clap and you stand up and everything is awesome. That's where I was going with this. And we were going to go through the entire passage and we were going to talk because after Jesus talks to this lady, they go through this whole thing about living water and Jesus being the living water and all this. And she goes back out into her town, into the village, and she tells people about Jesus and everybody gets saved and it's awesome. And we cheer. And again, it's great. But I was driving, I was going to a place the other day on Wednesday, and, and, and I kept going over this over and over and over again in my mind, and something hit me. And, and I've probably heard this before, um, because I definitely didn't come up with it on my own, um, but it triggered something in me. Now, you're going to have to follow along with me here, because this is going to be the part of the message where you're like, ah, oh, I don't know, man, Pastor Ryan kind of stretching it a little bit today. I don't know that I really see that, and maybe he's just gone a little, maybe he is hitting that pipe. I don't know. Don't worry, I'm going to stretch even further later on in the message, but follow me here. The Bible says he had to go through where? Samaria had to go through Samaria. All of us have to go through Samaria in order to get where God wants us to go in life. And when I say Samaria, I'm not talking about literal Samaria on the map. I'm talking about some area. You see that? See what I did there? All of us have to go through Samaria to get where God wants us to go in life. And all of us, there's some area that we've been avoiding. And, and we can. We can avoid it. We can avoid it with religion. We can avoid it by just living it up and doing anything that we want. But what ends up happening is we don't get to go and we don't end up where God wants us to go. And we miss out on what God has for us because we refuse to walk through Samaria. We wind up, you get the map back up there, we wind up going on the alternate routes. And what we do when we go on the alternate routes, trying to avoid where God wants us to go, is we just walk in circles. I know people who walk in circles their entire lives and they blame God for it. I'm not making any progress. 
I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting blessed. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. When God is simply going, hey, the reason why is because I told you to go through Samaria, but you're taking your own path. You're following your own direction. You want to do what you want to do and not what I want you to do. And listen, I'm not saying that it's easy, but just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not right. Amen? So what is the area of your life that you need to walk through? What is the thing in your life that you know you need to deal with? What is the area that you need to surrender to the Lord? Now, now typically, this is where the pastor will begin to list out all of the possible areas that you could surrender to the Lord. Let me tell you, I ain't that pastor. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Because if I list out eight, most of you will go through that checklist and go, you know what? I don't struggle with any of that. I'm good. Woohoo! Yay me. I am awesome. I'm Jesus' favorite. And so we're not going to do that. All right? What we're going to do is I'm going to ask you again, what's your area? What's the area you need to surrender to the Lord? What is the area that you really need to give to God? What is the area where he's compelling you to walk through? And if you're sitting there and something just popped in your mind, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. It, it is. And, and we need to be willing to listen to what he's trying to say to us and go where he's calling us to go. Stop what he's telling us to stop. Start what he's telling us to start. Good or bad? Hard or easy? We just need to do. And so, as I was working through this the other day, um, I came up with three things we need to really wrap our minds around um, as we walk through our area, all right? Three things we need to really understand. Um, the first one is this, is the word repentance. There needs to be clear repentance. Now that word right there, repentance, some people don't like it. Let me tell you why they don't like it. It's because it's been weaponized by crazy people. You know what I'm talking about, crazy people? You ever seen them stand on the corner, holding up signs, turn or burn, be saved or get microwaved and they got the bullhorn and they're yelling at you repent 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 like crazy crazy if that's you if you've ever done that that's exactly what i'm thinking of you when you're standing out there that you're absolutely crazy because this word has been yelled at they yelled at screamed at to people maybe you've been told by somebody that's so heavenly minded they're no earthly good you need to repent you need to repent you need to repent they get in your face and the reason they get in your face is because people have the wrong idea of what this word means in so many people's mind this means change your behavior Stop doing what you're doing. Quit it. Knock it off. Just stop. But he, here's what's funny. And I'm, I'm going to get some pushback on this. Um, I've done it in two services and the online service on Friday. And it's great. Um, you might not like it, but that's cool. I got the microphone. You got to listen. Do you know one of the best things, one of the best books you can ever read on the subject of repentance? You know what it is? You ready for this? This is super, super, super deep. This is great. One of the best books that you can read on repentance that will absolutely change you forever. Green Eggs and Ham. Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. I remember, I remember reading this book to my daughter 
and, um, and I was in seminary at the time. And I remember reading it going, oh my gosh, this is so great. This is awesome. This is repentance. And, and I wrote a paper on it and, and I went into, into the church that I was working at and I taught it and I went through the thing and everyone's like, oh wow, like that's great. And then on Monday morning, I got called into a deacon meeting. It was great. It was awesome. And I'm like, how is that, how's that wrong? And they're like, it's, I, I don't, I don't know, but you just, it's not the Bible. I know it's not the Bible, but calm down, Karen. It's all right. Because if you know the story, right? How many of you know the story? You know the story? Sam, I am. He shows up with his green eggs and ham, and the guy's like, "Uh uh-uh. I don't want him. He's like, ah, just try him. He's like, I will not eat green eggs and ham. I will not eat them in a box. I will not eat them with a fox. I will not eat them with a boat. I will not eat them with a goat. I will not eat them in a birch. I will not eat them at Central Church. It doesn't say that. It's a little flavor flavor right there. Yeah, boy. I don't, I, I didn't do that in any of the other services. All of my meds have worn off by this service. I don't even know what I'm doing. But then he's like, all right. <laughs> if you just, <laughs> oh my gosh, do you see why they don't let you guys come here? Do you see? Like, that's really why. It's not that there aren't drivers. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> oh crap. All right. Um, what am I doing? What's he say? All right. Yeah. Hey, if you'll let me be, I will try them. You will see. So he's like, I'll, I'll just try the green eggs and ham. And he tries them and he's like, whoo, these are pretty good. And he goes through the whole progression again. I will eat them in a boat with a goat in a box with a fox or all that stuff. He goes through all that because he's changed his mind. He's like, I, I, I like this. I, I, I love it. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He changed his mind. That's what repentance is. Repentance is changing our mind. Repentance is seeing something the way that God sees something. Because when we see as God sees, we're more likely to do what God says. But listen, so many people think repentance is changing your behavior. Repentance is not changing our behavior. Changing our behavior is compliance. And unfortunately, too many discipleship programs and too many churches care way more about behavior modification than they do life change. And Jesus did not die on the cross so we could have behavior modification. He died so we could experience life change. If we change our behavior, don't miss this. If we change our behavior, but we don't change the way we think, we'll always go back to the behavior that was so destructive. Always. Always. So at the end of the day, if you're doing something that you know you should not be doing, if you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing, I'm not the guy who's going to stand on the corner with signs and yell and scream at you to stop. I'm the guy who's going to encourage you to try to figure out why why you are doing it. Because once you figure out why? It'll change the way you think. Paul said in his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans 12 too, he said, don't copy the behavior, the customs of this world, but get, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you behave. Doesn't say that, does it? It says by changing the way you what? By the way you think. By changing the way you think. Years ago, about 15 years ago or so, I've shared this before, it's, it's no secret. I have no problem standing in front of this church and, and sharing um, the struggles and the things in my past that I've dealt with um, and what Jesus has rescued me from and set me free from. Um, but, but years ago, 
um, I had a problem with prescription pain medication. Um, like I did, I abused it. I have people come up to me all the time and say, I bet it wasn't as bad as you say. You're right. <laughs> it wasn't as bad. It was way worse. I can't even describe it. I, just, I can't. But anyway, I went through a thing where I confessed and had to stand in front of a church. It wasn't this church. It was another church and, and talk about it and confess it. And afterwards, um, had all these people who wanted to help me and all these people were going to help me get over it. And a guy come up to me with a contract. Um, he had written out a contract and on the contract, it said, like, you can't make this stuff up. It said, I, Ryan Gallagos, will never use pain medication again. Sign it. And I'm like, I'm not signing that. Cause like, I, like I can't, like I don't, I don't know what's ever gonna happen to me. I don't know if I'm gonna get hurt and I mean, what I just need talent. Like I, I couldn't do it. And by the way, that's never changed anybody, has it? Sign this contract. You sign this contract saying you'll never look at porn again. Okay. Woohoo! I don't wanna look at porn. I just wanna read my Bible all the time. Like that's never happened. Ever. You, you know what changed me? You know what changed me when it, when it came to abusing pain pills. It wasn't people yelling at me saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It was me getting to a place where I understood why I was abusing it. I was over medicating to numb the pain that had been in my life for decades. And it wasn't until I understood why I was doing it and ultimately why it wasn't best for me if I wanted to step into the future that God had for me that I wanted to stop. When I discovered the why and I dug into it and did the work, God used a process to set me free from something that was going to absolutely destroy me. And I repented, not because I changed my behavior, but because I changed my mind. And I said, I don't need to numb the pain with that. Even though it works and it's effective, it will ultimately bring destruction and hold me back from the life that God wants for me. And I repented, not because I changed my behavior, but because I changed my my mind. And if God brought me through that process. He can do it with anybody in this room or anybody who's watching online. This is not unique to me. This is how God works. This is why people reach out to me all the time. They're like, oh, you're an ex-addict, man. Will you reach out? Will you talk to my friend? Will you talk to my husband? Will you talk to my wife? Will you talk to my kid? Will you talk to my brother? Will you talk to so-and-so? Because you could talk to them and you could set them free. I always tell people, I can't set anybody free. I'm not Jesus. In fact, if they don't, they don't, they don't want to talk to me and you set up a phone call, they're going to be mad at you and me by the time the phone call is over because you're just going to end up pushing them away. You know when people get well? You know when people get well? When they decide they want to get well. That's when, when they decide. I'm telling you, because it's been true in my life. You can overcome anything that is kicking your rear end. But it's only when you decide. When you decide. You know what? I don't want to live this way anymore. This will not control me anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. You know how I know that? From personal experience and the Bible. There's a story in the Bible of the prodigal son. Many of you know this. When the prodigal son leaves his house and he goes and he blows his life up. Everybody knows he's screwing up. Everybody. He winds up working for the pig farmer. He goes in the pig pens. He's got a, he's living in there. He's got to feed the pigs and the pigs won't eat certain things and he won't eat the things the pigs eat and blah, blah, blah. It goes through this whole thing. And, and then Jesus says this sentence has been my go-to sentence for life change. And, and it's the go-to sentence for anybody else who wants to experience life change. Jesus said this about the prodigal son. It says this in Luke. He says, when he came to his senses, when he 
came to his senses. Not when his mom and dad nagged him to death. Do you know that by nagging people, you don't draw them in, you push them away? Nobody has ever went, oh, I gave my life to Jesus because that person nagged me to death. And I finally figured I might as well. And it's been the greatest decision of my life. Woohoo! If you want to get better, listen to me. If you want to get better, if you want to get out of the pig pen, you have to decide. I don't want to live this way anymore. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can take that. And it's a process. Healing is always a process. But it's the beginning of stepping out of a place of bondage and into a place of freedom. I know the journey because I've walked the journey. Heck, if I'm honest with you, I'm still walking the journey. I am. I'm still walking it. Repentance. Changing our mind changes the way we think. To see sin, let's just call it that. To see sin the way that Jesus sees sin. Because when we see as Jesus sees, we're more likely to do what Jesus says. Number two is understanding. Having an understanding that if he wants us to walk through Samaria, it might not be easy, but it's best. It might not be easy, but it's always right. It might not be easy, but when was the last time, honestly, when was the last time in life we ever had something worth having that was easy? God wants us to go through some area because he ultimately wants better things for us than we want for ourselves. We, we talk about this all the time here in this church, but it fits so well right here in this message. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, God says, you want some good stuff for your life? I want better. I want better. See, the mentality we have as Christians is, oh my gosh, this brings me so much happiness. This brings me so much peace. This brings me so much joy. This brings me so much hope. It must be the devil. And we forget that Jesus says, no, 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 I came to give you abundant life. I came to give you lots of joy, lots of hope, lots of peace. I came to give you life to the full. But in order to get there, you're oftentimes going to have to go through Samaria. And once you go through Samaria, you'll understand it wasn't to hold you back. It was to set you free. Let me show you something Jesus said. And if you're a parent, you'll get this. If you're not a parent, um, if you ever become a parent one day, um, trust me, you'll understand this. Matthew 7, verse 9. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread... You give them a stone instead. Isn't that jacked up? You go to McDonald's today. You go to the drive-thru. You order all the food. And you're passing out all the food. And you give your kid a happy meal. And they're like, oh, did I get a nugget? No, you got a rock. That's what you get. A rock? Yes. You got a rock. Eat the rock. Be thankful for the rock. When I was your age, I was thankful for every rock that I got. I ate every rock my parents put in front of me as I was walking to school uphill both ways in the snow. And I loved it. Eat the rock. If you did that today, you'd be on YouTube and DHS would be your house in like 30 minutes. How jacked up is that to give your kid a rock? You want great things for your kids, don't you, parents? Yes or no? Yeah. As parents, we want our kids to have incredible things. In fact, we always say, I want them to have things I never had, right? Jesus goes on to say this in verse 10, or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? That's crazy. You went to Arby's or McDonald's today and got a fish sandwich. Your kid's like, can I get some fish, daddy? No. You got a snake. Hold on to that. Hold, have faith. Just have faith. I, I don't know if you guys have ever like seen the churches do snake handling or not. But one time, years ago, my daughter, she asked me, she's like, why do they do that? I said, because they're dumb. 
That's why. Because they're dumb. Somebody will be like, my cousin's snake handles certain. Well, they're dumb. They are. I, I said, years and years and years ago, my sister, my older sister, um, she was getting married. This is the first wedding I ever did. Um, her, um, her husband to be, um, was from the, the hills of Kentucky, like the Appalachian Mountains. And this dude had a thick, thick, thick accent. It was, it was, it was horrible. And I had never met him before, but I'm going to do their wedding. And they come into my office and we're going through some stuff and he's talking and he said, Hey, they teach y'all to handle snakes at that Bible college you're going to. And I'm like, no, they don't teach us how to handle snakes, you idiot. And I look up and I realize he's like serious. And he's like, my family goes to a snake handling church. And if you can't handle a snake, you don't have enough faith. I guess, well, I guess I'm going to hell because I ain't touching no snake, man. And we kind of went through the whole thing and talked about it. And he's, he doesn't handle snakes anymore. It's, it's crazy. But anyway, it was, it was weird that Jesus is saying that though. Jesus is kind of bringing that up. Like nobody does that. And so then he says this, so if you sinful people, anybody in here know any sinful people? Anybody? Anybody in here sinful person? Yeah. Um, the rest of you that don't raise your hand or are agreeing, um, this is the wrong church for you because we will mess you up, make you sinful. Um, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give, give, give good gifts to those who ask him? I've literally had people say, God's not blessing me. He's not giving me what I'm asking for. And my question is, what are you asking him for? Because, listen, 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 listen. If he doesn't say yes, it's because he has something better in mind. Why would we sell out for our dreams when we could put those to the side and get the dreams of the one who wants immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine? So these are the last words, open are you open to walking through the area God wants you to go through? Like, are you open to God speaking to your life and saying, you know what? It's a little off in your life. I want you to deal with this. I, I want you to deal with this area. I want us to deal with this habit. I want to deal with this addiction. I want to deal with this issue. I want to deal with this that's going on with you right now. And the reason he's speaking that to you is not to condemn you, but to correct you. And the reason he wants to correct you is because he knows ultimately if you stay on that path, you miss out on immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Now, I know in the church world, we're used to hearing, if you stay on that path, you're going to get destroyed. And if you stay on that path, you're going to get what's coming to you. And, but I want you to listen to me. And, I, and I've, I've said that and I've thought that for years. But the more and more and more and more I think about it, the worst thing is not the bad thing. Because, yeah, you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Something bad is going to happen to you. It's just, that's inevitable. It's going to happen. But the worst thing is not the bad thing. The worst thing is missing out on immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. So at the end of the day, are you at least open to what God wants to do in your life? Are you open to going through Samaria? Because I don't, I don't want this to be a place where we have a lot of activity. We're walking around in circles because we're avoiding our area, so we're making no progress. I want this to be a safe place where we deal with the things that are going on in our lives, where we talk about the things that we don't want to talk about. I want this to be a, a, a safe place where we'll work through the issues that nobody really wants to wrestle through. Because we know as a church, and I know as a pastor, that if you're willing to embrace what God wants to do in your life, and you're open to what he wants next, and stepping into your area, he will absolutely blow your mind. It won't always be easy, 
but it'll always be right. What is your area? And are you willing to walk through? Because that's what we need, church. We need to be willing to walk into any area he's calling us to walk into.